times, what are the times that we live in? Uh, the text that Samantha read is about a very, very challenging time in the life of the people of God. You recall that in 538, uh, Ezra had given the edict to come back to Jerusalem. Uh, they had come back, and after a lot of fits and starts, they eventually built a temple between roughly 520, 516 B.C., and then the whole generation of languishing passes by where just things aren't going well, difficulty, problems. Then Nehemiah is appointed to the governor and he comes back to do his work. And we're reading right at the heart of that work. But I want to show you a little clip to kind of get us focused today on my theme. And it's a clip from the Lord of the Rings, one of my favorite lines. I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. So do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All you have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to you. Sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> There's a sermon to follow. The times we live in. You know, one of the great and abiding truths of God's word is that we get to see the people of God being the people of God in all kinds of circumstances. I mean, it's true. We, we see them, you know, dancing on the far side of the Red Sea, with, literally with tambourines in their hand, their enemies destroyed, I will sing unto the Lord. He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider he's thrown into the sea. We get to see that. We see that moment when you know, God thunders down his law from Mount Sinai. God speaks to his people. We see it the moment. Think about it. If you could have been there the day that, that Isaiah was caught up in the temple and the glory of God shone and he sees the, the, the very throne of God and the seraphs, the six-winged seraphs flying and crying out, day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Those are the days that we really mark and remember, but the Bible is so wonderful about showing us the real full realities of what it means to be the part of the people of God. We also open up and read that time in, in Eli, the father of Samuel, who it says in 1 Samuel 3, 1, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Or the time when the anguish of the woman when the Ark of the Covenant had been taken by the Philistines and she gives birth to a child and the only name she can come up with is a name, do you remember? Ichabod, which means the glory has departed. We see God's people in those kind of times as well. 
I think about the song that we sing, and by the way, I, I love this song, and when Casey sings it, it's really powerful, but the, um, These are the Days of Elijah, you know that song? You know, it has the, the chorus that says, No One Like Jehovah, which repeats like 35 times. <laughs> but the, 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 the main thrust of that, These Days of Elijah declaring the word of the Lord. These Days of Moses, righteousness being restored. These Days of Ezekiel, dry bones becoming like flesh. These days of David rebuilding the temple of praise. I love that hymn. But I think at this seam in history, we need to write a few more verses. I have written a few. (laughs) I don't think they'll make it. But I want the people of God to think about what would happen if we changed it to a minor key and we actually in Lent sang this. These the days of Eli, the word of the Lord is rare. These the days of the Philistines, God has not answered our prayer. These the days of Jeremiah, our eyes are flooded with tears. These the days of Babylon, we know nothing but a life of fears. You see, that's what we actually get when we read the Bible, is the full reality of what it means to sit amongst the people of God in all kinds of situations. I can guarantee you that Nehemiah, if he had seen that movie, he would have said, he wouldn't have had a ring in his hand, had a trowel in his hand, and said, well, I wish I hadn't lived to see this day. I would much rather have a tambourine in my hand. I don't want a trowel in my hand. I don't want Sanballat and Tobiah plotting against me. But the time that he was given was the time that he was given We live in a day which is very difficult to describe. I have collected a a list of a few of the ways that our generation is described. And I'm talking about the world in general. Post-communist, post-Christendom, post-Christian, post-denominational, post-Western, post-Enlightenment, post-modern. Probably a few other posts that I've forgotten. What does that mean? What in the world, what is the, why has the word post descended upon your generation? Because post means you're beyond something, but you have, no, you know, have no idea where you are. You're just stuck. <laughs> you're the post generation. So we're, we're stopped between, you know, we know that something's changed, you know. The, the, we're not in the 1950s anymore. We're not in our grandparents' generation. We're, but we don't know where we're landing. We don't know at times whether this is a, a, this is a great time or not. We don't know what's happening. And globally, the story is very varied around the world. Well, Nehemiah lived in a time like that, a seam time, post-exile, pre-Messiah. A time of rebuilding, of rekindling hope. I mean, just think about, you know, if God had said on the eighth day, let there be Zondervan. (laughs) Thank God he didn't do that. (laughs) Let there be Abingdon. (laughs) think of the books that would have been written. You know, Moses could have written his book, you know, How to Pass Through Your Red Sea. (laughs) Or The Purpose Driven Nation. (laughs) With a workbook, of course, and video series. Nehemiah's book would be something like this, Living as a Jew in a Post-Judaism World. Everything that Judaism was had crumbled. And he had to rebuild it again, rekindle it. Or maybe he could have written a book, Life Amidst the Rubble. In those days, they didn't have that. Now it's just called Nehemiah. 
That's what the book is called. But that's what it's about. And one of the things about Nehemiah, if we were to do a survey today, or, or certainly in the church and in the you know, larger Christian world, and say, what is Nehemiah about? You would basically get one answer to almost anybody you ask. I mean, okay, I see Bill Arnold is here. He's going to give you a really great nuanced answer. But, you know, if you just ask people, what are they going to say? Nehemiah is about what? Rebuilding the wall. That's exactly right. Well, the re- ball, wall is rebuilt, but actually it's wrapped up by chapter 6, verse 15, and they did it in 52 days. That's less than this semester for you. Take, take heart. <laughs> That's Nehemiah 6.15. They completed it. It's over with. Nehemiah is 13 chapters. So I think we need to actually look back and say, okay, Nehemiah is about a lot of other things as well. It's about a lot of rebuilding. And granted, the wall was, was what made us, so many other things possible. But the wall was about a larger rebuilding project in Nehemiah. If you look at the, of the chapters you know, there's this amazing instruction God's Word to look at. And then chapter 9, repentance from sin. Chapter 9, also this amazing rebirth of historical remembrance. And then the restoration of worship, chapter 12. And the restoration of the holiness of the clergy in chapter 13. It's an amazing book, a lot of restoration. This chapter that we're on today that, that uh, Samantha read for us, is about the rebuilding of something else that we never hear talk about, talked about. If you did your survey, it wouldn't come up, except for Bill Arnold and a few others that are here, Old Testament prayer. But it's basically not brought up, and that's the rebuilding of the pulpit. Chapter 8 describes the rebuilding of the pulpit. They, 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 it says in verse 8, Ezra described a large wooden platform built for the occasion. And he read God's word from morning to night. It's the rebirthing of God's word being re-articulated to people of God. And it's, it's interesting, whenever you get the, like if there's a liturgical reading of Roman, Nehemiah 8, it always cuts out all those names for all the obvious reasons. They don't want to like completely put into shell shock the poor layperson assigned that reading that day. <laughs> so I said to our dean, I said, um, uh, Jessica, could you... Find someone who can, is, has the courage to read all the names. Because it's important to me. Because these names are not there inconsequently. They're actually there because we don't find any superstars in this list. You know, 13 Levites never heard of. And when the Bible, the Word of God is being read all day long, we're told there they were, uh, standing with the people, instructing them in the law, Listen to this, verse, not, verse 8. Making it clear and giving the meaning so the people could understand what was being read. That is your calling. And I'm not, that's not just for those who are going to be preachers someday. That's everybody in this room. If you're getting a degree from Asbury Seminary, you've got a job ahead of you. You may be doing it in the counseling well. You may do it teaching. You may do it in the mission field. Maybe whatever. Whatever the venue that God has called you to, you have a responsibility to make God's word plain to people. God will remember that you have this degree. <laughs> you may want to forget it someday, but he won't. You, you'll know stuff that you, you almost wish you didn't know, but now you know. You have a responsibility to explain and teach. If you travel around the country today, what do you hear in, in pulpits today? You hear a lot of bland moralizing, a lot of cute stories, 
okay, you get a joke thrown in now and then. But what you don't hear so often is a faithful exposition of God's word. And that can be done in a hundreds of different styles. It's not about the styles here. It's about the content, the heart of what you're doing. Your project is rebuilding the pulpit in our day. Our generation, this generation, the post-Christian, post-Christendom, post-whatever, it won't put up with what we inherited. They won't put up with it. They have soccer practice on Sunday morning. They won't come. Something has to happen where we recognize that we have a calling that is dramatic, it's radical, and involves a very different kind of posture toward what our calling is in the Word of God with the people of God. And this is exactly the spot that Nehemiah found himself in. A trowel in one hand, and in his case, a sword in the other with those who opposed him. It's unbelievable. They could have done the wall in even less time, but they had to have a sword in one of their hands because of all the opposition they faced. This is not the Temple Mount. This is Mars Hill. This is a very different kind of world that we're inhabiting, and you're here at Asbury to inhabit just this kind of world. Well, 104 years ago, the Titanic sunk, and April sank. April sank, sank, sunk, whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and be careful, you know. <laughs> Presidents cannot make grammatical errors, okay? It's just <laughs> not allowed. <laughs> Uh, the, the Titanic went down. <laughs> and when it sunk, there were many, of course, innumerable theories that, of course, happened about why the whole thing sunk. And they had theories that happened. There were, you know, books written about it and so forth, and, you know, the rudder position and the poor communications and so forth and so on and all that. But, you know, they finally, when they discovered the Titanic... They actually went down and they, they brought back some evidence to determine why it happened. Now, you know, like, you know, like the uh, like forensic files and some of these shows like, you know, CIS or whatever, where they like forensics like explains all kinds of things. They did that. And it turns out that the reason the Titanic went to the bottom of the ocean is because of a very, very lowly a rivet. Cheap rivets. At the time it was being built, and you can see here, this is some of the rivets that they pulled out of the floor of the ocean. And when, they, when the Titanic sunk, they, of course, didn't know where it was. They eventually found it. They, they went down there. They brought these rivets back up. And it turns out at the time that it was being built, there was this huge, you know, course of the days of, you know, child labor and all of these, you know, the Belfast shipyards building these big luxury liners, competing one, one with another, and there was actually a, a shortage of the proper engineered design rivet that was required to bolt these huge plates of steel together. So at some point, someone came, they found all these records, by the way, someone came and said, we don't, you know, we don't have the right rivet, uh, we can get some cheaper ones, has some slag mixed in, and it'll keep it on schedule. Otherwise, we really need to, to wait however many months to get the right rivet. And they said, no, we got to keep this on schedule. Use the other rivets. Okay, that decision, the engineers screamed about it at the time, but it didn't matter because they had to keep the whole thing going on schedule. And when it hit, if you remember, they were expecting, they found it to find you know, these huge gaping holes in the side of the ship. They didn't find that. 
what they actually found was it looked like someone had put, taken a zipper and unzipped the whole side of it. If even four compartments had uh, flooded, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have gone down. But because of all five, it went all the way to the bottom because it literally just the rivets just burst all the way down the seam. So despite, if you, if you toured the Titanic, you know, the golden chandeliers, the beautiful faucets, the marble floors, the hardwood dance floors, the thing was just spectacular. Who would have believed that at the base of the whole ship, this amazing, you know, kind of awe-inspiring thing, at the base of it was a fundamental lack in the fundamentals of what makes a ship strong. In the same way, the church today loves hardwood floors and golden chandeliers and all the pizzazz. We love all that. We'll go through endless campaigns to make things snazzier. Oh, a Starbucks in the lobby really does it off. And all that's great. I'm not against Starbucks in the lobby. Well, maybe. <laughs> but the point is, I'm not against all that, generally speaking, but the point is that if you don't have the fundamentals, it's not seaworthy. A lot of what masquerades today as Christianity, evangelical Christianity, Western Christianity, is not built on fundamentals. And part of your task, part of your job with a trowel in your hand as you leave this place someday, and some of you that's short, some of you are long, some of you are on the long, long journey, whatever it is, when you graduate, you have a building task ahead of you. And it's built on the fundamentals of the Word of God, of prayer, of repentance, of good historical memory. All the things that Nehemiah had to rebuild in this book. I'd recommend reading the whole thing, particularly verse seven, chapter 7 onward, and getting the full scope of what he does. And you'll find that it's okay to live your life and your calling in the midst, not when Solomon dedicated the temple, in the midst of when it was destroyed by the Babylonians and you're in the rubble of it. It's okay. A lot of good work to be done at that time. It's okay to live at a time when you look around and you see, you see you're looking at the foot of the cross and all you hear are sounds of mocking, thinking that God's voice has been snuffed out and God still has the last word. It's okay to recognize that despite the times that we've been given, we're reminded, as Gandalf said, so true, that we have to do what we do with the time we are given. And we actually can't rely a lot on things, the way things were done in the past. Many of you are going to have to think about things in ways that we've never even imagined. Because you will get your vision. You will learn things and, and you'll understand things by how to bring this word of God, how to rebuild to your generation in ways that only you can do. We will stand back in awe as well. But it, whatever it is, it will only be done through the fundamentals and remembering the power of God's word to transform the world, to achieve his mission and bring us to the appointed end. Thanks be to God.